0: Hello everyone and welcome to the first February episode of the podcast. After an early career characterised by hours at a computer, my guests today turn their back on desk work and embrace the physical elements of gardening. Now, when not working as a landscape designer and gardener, they're an impressive trail and ultra runner, who in 2019 became the British 100km champion. Other achievements include finishing third brick at the CCC by UTMB and taking the win at Centurion Running South Downs Way 100 miler. I'll now allow them to introduce themselves in the manner of their choosing because there's quite a lot of other things going on in their life, which I'm sure that
1: we will get on to talking about. But in the meantime, hello and welcome to the podcast. Oh yes, that's right. Um, <laughs> my name is Charlie Harper, and I am, as well as being
2: uh, a gardener and a runner, I in the last few days have also become a father as well, which is quite terrifying. And um, my daughter might make an appearance, when she wails a <laughs> little <laughs> in the room next door. Um, yes, I, I. Um, I think a, a gardener is a, a sort of term for a bit of a jack of all trades. Um, I am currently the head gardener at the, uh, the Nepa State, uh, which some people might have heard of. It's the site of the largest rewilding project, uh, in, uh, the oldest rewilding project in the UK. Uh, it's been going on for about 23 years or so. And uh, my boss, Isabella tree. wrote a book called Wilding, which tells the story of the uh, transformation from quite a, quite an intensive farm to something which is actually really quite special and unique. And uh, we have learned a lot about rewilding um, from those 23 years or so. And I have been brought in to really transfer all those principles to the garden at NEP. And so we've got a, a war garden, which we have what we call rewilded, and we've also got a market garden as well, so we're we're um, growing a lot of vegetables in a in a quite a uh, well we call it a regenerative way. So it's really looking after and building the soil. So there's quite a lot going on, and I am still a, a designer and designing various parts of the estate. And uh, we've got new gardens sort of popping up. I um, I don't think I can shake off the design quite uh, quite yet. Uh, you introduced me as. Um, Uh, Someone that spent quite a lot of hours at a desk, and that's because I trained as an architect. So the the sort of design element is is certainly there, and I don't think it's going to go away. So I worked as a landscape architect for a designer called Tom Smith for a few years, and um, that's where I got into plants. And plants plants and running together have really saved my life, I think, and um, maybe we'll talk about that.
1: Later. yes i'd love to i'd love to get into that and i think it sounds like a, a winning combination plants and running um so n- no surprises that they that they've been really important to you but i'm really intrigued charlie with your kind of multifaceted um interests so what was growing up like for you um for you. Oh, for you Fun, actually,
2: I think. Mm-hmm. I back very fondly on that. Um, my uh, family had a farm, so the whole, um, you know, uh, well, there was already a sort of hands-on, earthy connection, I suppose. And now my dad's side of the family, my grandfather was a, uh, a garden photographer, so there was that whole garden element as well. And we had this this company called the Hopper Garden Library, which housed um, just, well, photographs of gardens. So it was always quite an inspiring place to be. Um, but I was always quite sporty.
1: Um, and, but never, I was, I was a swimmer and then I was a cyclist and then I got really into running later on. Um, but yes, I sort of messed around quite a lot when I was a kid and had quite a good time. So as well as li- living on the farm and obviously being, being in the outdoors, when did you realise that, nature actually had a real importance to you personally in your life I think I've certainly always known that
2: but a big transition period happened when I was working as a as an architect I just sort of done part of my training as an architect and was working in various offices and I didn't really get out very much and (laughs) it was that that was the thing um, that really did it for me, because I suddenly became very depressed indeed. And I just, I really lost lost the point of life. And uh, it was, there were was some pretty, pretty, bleak, pretty bleak years. Um, and so that's when I finally, with some help, decided to do something about it.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that, Charlie, and in, in, in such a an, an upfront way as well. Because I know it's something that's really difficult to to share and, and and talk about in in that way. And was um was sort of your time spent outside was that something that those who were supporting you were advocating for as well, or is it something that you realised was kind of integral to your recovery? Um, I think uh,
2: um, well, I think maybe you've heard me talk about this before, but some people might not have. Um, it sort of I got outside really whilst I was an architect, and I, what I did was sign up to marathons in various, in various European cities that I wanted to see, mm-hmm. um, as an, from an architectural point of view, and I thought the best way of seeing a city. Uh, and getting to know its character was to run the city marathon. And that was sort of coupled with a slightly strange self um thing, sort of a, a punishment thing. Mm. You know, I, I hadn't really trained to run a marathon, but I don't know, I, I, I sort of signed up and thought, well, it would be a damn good punishment in some way um, for me. Uh, but in doing so, it turns out that, yes, I, didn't, I couldn't really walk for quite a few days after running said marathons, but I was able to get hooked. Um, and, and so I think through that slightly strange um, circumstance, I was able to find running as a really good outlet
1: and something that still really helps me to this day. That's that's sort of interesting because it kind of flips the narrative of of why people usually think of getting into running because it will bring them joy and maybe realize that it hurts when they do it. Um and you sort of went down the I'm doing this because I, I feel like I want to kind of break myself, but actually then encountered joy through the movement of it. Is that is that what I'm what I'm hearing? Yeah, exactly.
2: That was it. And I, you know you could read into this and um, go down a whole lot of different avenues, but uh, you could say that firstly it was I'm quite an obsessed character, so that was that suddenly became a, an obsession where really, I was quite cripplingly depressed and wasn't really able to concentrate too long on any one thing, but actually suddenly running was was that thing. I found that I did enjoy it I enjoyed the the feeling of movement and um, i also enjoy exploring uh, various natural spaces around where I grew up in in, um, North Essex, South Suffolk. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's really part of my favourite, one of my favourite parts of the the world, uh, back where I grew up. And so it's that that, that exploration and the feeling of movement and the slightly, uh, a lot of people talk about this metronomic action of putting... One foot in front of the other.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also, you know, the feeling that you get
2: after a run. Um, and that this is a really important thing. You don't have to be uh, com- a competitive runner to get that feeling of uh, achievement and strength from going out in the morning and going for a run. I, what I found was when I felt so useless and I felt like I wasn't really achieving anything in my day, I felt like, you know, and I use the term achievement. Uh, loosely um, but I, uh, I felt like I had achieved something because I managed to drag myself out and go for a run and get my heart pumping and bring some air into my lungs and
1: I know quite a lot of the time see some quite nice things mm-hmm.
2: out in nature.
1: And how did it actually affect your relationship with the places that you went? Um, you You commented that it was also to explore the architecture of different places. How did it change your perspective, do you think, moving through those spaces, both competitively and um, from, a kind of a, from a running perspective? That's
2: interesting. I think, <laughs> looking back on it now, I can't remember. Um, I can't remember. And this is a, this is a telltale sign. I can't remember much about the architecture of the cities that I ran through. Mm. <laughs> um, I, I, I went to, to places like Oslo and Cologne and uh, a, a few other cities, which I've gotten right now, but I can't I can't really remember when I was running much of the architecture that I was passing by. But say running a hundred miles on the South Downs, say, or running around Mont Blanc, I can remember quite a lot. Uh, um, So maybe that's a a sort of telltale sign much more, running is much more mindful to me when I'm in a place that uh, I find calming and and engaging,
1: I think. Mm. Did that then also, um, because you obviously then changed careers, Um, was it through getting into the marathon running um, that you then, that then reflected back into your vocational? Choices. Yeah, I think so. I
2: was I was carried on my training in architecture mm-hmm. um, after having a pretty miserable time. I went out and lived in Sweden for a bit, and that was where I was carrying on my my training in architecture. And I knew that I didn't want to be an architect by that point. Uh, you know, lots of lots of part. Uh, there's lots about the the profession of architecture and uh, the way of life which I. I, I do miss and um, I still uh, connect to you, but I realized I didn't be an architect at that point. And when I was out in Sweden, I felt particularly lost. And once again, back to really crippling depression. Actually, it's one of those times where I look back and I feel a bit sick when I'm thinking about it because I was so lost back then. But what I did do when I, I lived in Sweden was, um, I joined a, a local running club and we went. Uh, I got taken up to the far north in the Arctic Circle and we ran around places like... uh, There's a great trail up in in Arctic Sweden called the Kungsleden, which I I, I think think maybe Emily Forsberg um, has got the FKT on that. I think I I remember seeing it a couple of years ago. But It's a beautiful trail. Um, And it was going and exploring places like that that... um, well, they got me running, and it turned me into a sort of better and more engaged runner. But I think that was the that doing those sort of activities made something click, and that's when I decided to sort of. Well, at the time, I pressed pause on the architecture. And it took quite a long time to be able to do that because architecture was what I was meant to be doing. You know, everyone knew from the age of about eight to years old uh, that that's what I was going to be doing. So it felt like a colossal failure to be able to jump shit. So I told myself that I pressed pause and then I went and worked for this landscape designer, Tom Stuart Smith, and that was uh, really quite revelation. It was, that was quite a revelation for
3: me.
1: That that sounds like an in- incredible revelation for you and so <laughs> life-changing. i like I I can really identify with some of those feelings. I recently um went back to my old school that I mentioned earlier actually just before we came on it. Yeah. But um it was for a funeral of, of a teacher actually. It was it was very sad. Yeah. But I I ran into people obviously that I was at school with and I it, it was really difficult because actually those like those years at, at school I was going through a lot um and, and suffering with my yeah. mental health and actually just to kind of reconnect with those it, it made me feel quite sick thinking about yeah. it. Like 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 you said, and I, I sort of spoke to people afterwards who just kind of wanted to talk about the funeral. I was like, I actually really can't talk yeah. about this experience much more yeah. because I I felt I've got a lot of feelings coming up about it that um that aren't yeah. necessarily connected to that person. But it's just that 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 time and, and like you kind of found that in the interim getting outside and and running and things it's just had such a transformational impact on me that i almost yeah. don't identify with that person who was who was so scared and not really knowing what they were doing and things yeah. um so in terms of then how plants and design kind of connected for you um when did you when did that relationship sort of forge
2: um, well, it was it was uh, working as, as a as a designer. Uh, I really that was the first time I started working with plants. And so you've you've basically got rather than very crudely working in architecture, you're working with building materials, bricks, mortar, really. And working in landscape design or garden design, you are working with living things. And if you don't understand how those living things work, then um you're quite handicapped in your design and so um i could do a lot to learn the plants that i was using just by reading books and things like that but really the only way that you get to learn how a plant behaves and how it grows and what it does in the winter and um, how you uh, make more of them uh, and all of that is to actually grow them yourselves um so it was it was doing it that, that, that sort of forged my forged my interest uh, in them. So I started volunteering at gardens, and um, and then actually it was as I got more and more plant based, I suppose, in my design work. I said to my my boss at the time, "I'm gonna I'm gonna take some time out," and that's when I went to Q. Mm. Uh, I was a student at Q, and that's how. I know your friend, Richard, um, who we were talking about just before this, this, this chat, uh,
1: who put us in touch. Shout out to so, Richard, if you're listening, yeah. this is a test for it. <laughs> yeah, I've
2: just heard a very funny story about
1: you, Richard. Yeah, you're going to hear about that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and so in terms of um, that, because you, you described so wonderfully um, how much nature gave Back to you when you were living in Sweden. Do you see that relationship also with plants as being
0: reciprocal?
1: I do, yeah. It's, it's,
2: it's, uh, well, you, I, I, um, when I first had, first started growing plants, it was one of the first things that I've ever done that has actually made sense. You know, stuff grows out of the ground, it's amazing. Um, so, um, yeah, so t- doing that sort of made everything everything click and it is it's rewarding uh, plants if they are treated in the the right way they 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 do reward you uh, very well and it's such such an optimistic thing to work at making a garden really um something that will bring people joy um where you know you're growing food and um there's a lot in um I can
3: hear my my daughter crying
1: <laughs> upstairs it's so distracting at the moment oh, um, yeah and in terms just to paint a little bit more of a picture in terms of your current work is there what yeah. is a kind of typical day I, I assume that there isn't a typical day but a day in a life of, of Charlie and in, in your current position I'd say
2: it's, it's a bit different I, I don't know if there are any gardeners listening to this podcast but probably I hope there's there's a lot of gardeners amongst us Uh, what we do at NEP is a bit different Uh, it involves a very different mindset it's about thinking about the garden as a a moving ecosystem something that changes all the time Um, we're thinking about habitat creation and um, uh, with habitat um, we hope to encourage biodiversity into our into our gardens. The gardens are incredible, really. Uh, They're an incredible uh, part of the solution. There are a hell of a lot of gardens in this country, 32 million of them or so. Um, So it's an incredibly large area. And if you think, that's that's about five times, four or five five times the area designated to National Nature Reserves. So if you imagine um, everyone's back gardens, it forms, Everyone's back garden is a sort of mosaic piece in this big mosaic of different habitats across the country and my role at net really is to experiment and try and encourage people to use their gardens and enjoy their gardens but but think about the gardens in a very different way in creating those very um, very unique habitats that gardens can be uh, to hopefully create this massive mosaic of different habitats across the across the country to uh, boost biodiversity as a whole be those refuges those those food sources um and you know encourage people to think above and below the ground because obviously below the ground is incredibly
1: important that's an amazing way of thinking about how a kind of interconnectivity and building communities in that way as well I'm almost kind of thinking of sort of like fungi kind of mycelium networks or something yeah. so little synapses of gardens or over the place actually being linked rather than us all having very insular spaces where everything is kind of relational I guess I'm also at the moment very mindful of the kind of the right to roam things that are going on as well with access to spaces and actually thinking about how all land is linked and dependent on each other is quite a nice literal (laughs) thing but also a metaphor for how we can all kind of connect to to each other uh, around the place through the natural world I guess really
2: exactly yeah I mean it's it's the same in various different elements of life but diversity is the key and if you if you look at um a satellite image of Camden say where I used to live in North London and you look at all of the sort of boxy back gardens uh, all up against each other what you have there is quite an amazing thing you have got diversity due to people's tastes you've got one person who's got i don't know i hope not but um maybe um has got astroturf down uh, with sort of piles of rubble or something like that and then next door you've got the sort of immaculately kept garden with a lawn and next door you've got um uh, you've got big flower borders and, and lots of trees and things like that. And then you've basically got different condition in every little square. And each one has offers its own opportunities. You might have a pile of rubble or something like that, which uh, has different cracks for things to live in and, and plants to seed into. And then it's different because on one side you've got uh, a sunny aspect and one aspect you've got a shady aspect. And you might have a, um, sort of a wet bit, a base, and you've got, suddenly you've got all of these different, Little microclimates forming from just a pile of rubble, and so if you think that all of these little aspects can add uh, something to the whole, it suddenly makes you realise that even if you've just got a window box, you can be part of the solution to biodiversity loss because you have got one of those stepping stones. One of your just your window box can help tie together your neighbours, and it might link up to a sort of park or other green space. Um, so really I think rewilding the garden is making this term rewilding that we use here at NEP more accessible. Uh, People might not know about the the, the NEP where I work, but it's about three and a half thousand acres, so quite a large uh, piece of land, large for a British scale, but (laughs) not necessarily from a, say, a North American scale. Um, But not everyone has three and a half thousand acres, which is hard to believe. Um, So, I, I had a roof terrace when I lived in, in North London and I, I, what I'm trying to do here at NEP is tell people the amazing things that you can do with the space that
1: you've got. So NEP is sort of a, a rather large microcosm, but a microcosm yeah. for what what can be done elsewhere. I think yeah. I was just really mindful as you were describing that as well, that, that that kind of segues nicely into thinking about the running community as well, that, people can have a preconception of what a runner should be like and actually i think i mean my experience and i think that was people's experience of of that community is that hopefully we are in ourselves a microcosm for the this kind of the diversity and inclusion um and um and compassion i think that yeah. that can be a model for other communities and i'm wondering what your experience of that community was and is, and whether that was also something that contributed to your your kind of positive trajectory with the sport and what it what it gave you. When I was very lost, uh, I suddenly
2: found ultra running and the people that, that do it to be uh, to, like, to be that that my my tribe I suppose, because you know I, people might take offence, but it's sort of um, Sarah Brown's. What I, what I found with Ultra is, is that you get a lot of people that probably have been quite lost in the past that are able to feel included. Um, and uh, if, you, if you weren't lost in your Ultra Honour, I'm sorry, uh, but, uh, what I found is that I found great acceptance because it doesn't really matter what sort of background you have, um, you're sort of sharing in, in
1: quite a positive, positive activity. I think there's definitely that element of it's fine. We're all weird here.
2: I honestly think that's what it is. (laughs) That's it. I found my tribe.
1: (laughs) And because like you mentioned straight away, kind of that, that marathons, you jumped straight into that. Were you immediately always drawn to those longer distances when you started running? Um,
2: I think it, it probably because it seems like the uh
3: the sort of extreme it felt like the limit of what a human could do mm-hmm. and so that, that was
2: the uh i think that was probably the draw at the time i did not want to do a half marathon i wanted to do a marathon <laughs> um so i think that was certainly the, the draw it's the challenge of it
1: and you, I mean, for someone who is is so speaks so fondly of different trails and things, you 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 did start off with with road running. Was it pretty soon after that that you then gravitated towards trails? And what did you find that the difference was for you? Um,
2: I think I to be honest, I, I've always I've always run off road, mm-hmm. uh, but I I it was the. Uh, when I started in marathons, it was it was just because I wanted to go and see a particular city, but I was doing most of my, most of my sort of training uh, off um, okay. off track, I
4: suppose,
1: I um, guess. And when did you realise that you had something of a talent for it in the competitive sense? I mean, you described not being able to walk for a while after your first <laughs> few marathons, but when did you yeah. start to kind of take it Ser- Seriously, in inverted commas, I guess.
2: um Let's see. God, it feels like quite a long time ago now. Uh, but um, I I started doing my my local trail marathon, and, and probably because I knew the course very well, because that was where I was running all the time, I probably had an upper upper the upper hand on <laughs> you know, the, the fellow fields. So I started doing well there, and then I did the hundred kilometer version, and that was my first ultra race, and and um did very well at that as well um after
3: you know not really running more than a, more than a marathon and um
2: yeah my god um it feels like quite a long time ago that I was back doing that
1: do you remember anything that you learned from those early races
2: e- yes
1: like what not to do <laughs>
2: I mean, I I don't I still don't think I trained enough for those for those races. So I I, I found did find walking quite quite difficult afterwards, um, and I didn't have a nutrition plan, and I didn't probably water uh, you know, drink my drink uh, enough in those races, and I, I made all of the sort of classic errors, which I'm still slightly guilty of sometimes. Like sort of can't be bothered to I don't know eat a gel or something like that. Um, so I, I don't think I, I – it was only when I had got a coach a couple of years later that I sort of managed to take all those steps to tying, all up, tying up those sort of loose ends and, and actually getting a strategy in place, and, and that helped no end. So I think when, when I got a coach and I was able to get some structure and some consistency because I was all over the place with my training in those, those sort of early, early races, um, with the consistency came, came – results if results is what you're interested in um, and and it was quite uh, surprising to see the, the difference uh, I was doing uh, another thing I was doing was over racing so I, I'd sort of book in I'd do a marathon one weekend and then I'd do a sort of 50 mile ultra marathon in the Brecon Beacons the next weekend and, and somehow uh, be quite surprised that I didn't perform as well as I wanted to in that, that long race I mean, looking back on that now, it seems absolutely crazy that I thought that would be a good
1: idea, but um, I just wanted that sort of extra test, I think. I I don't
2: do that anymore.
1: (laughs) But I think it's, uh, we learn from that, but I was um, mindful hearing something that that somebody else said to me the other day about that you see people doing so many races and things and think, wow, how do they do that? And actually it's just being aware that that can sometimes come from a place where they feel that they need to do that um and can be being driven by other things and so we shouldn't we we can't judge people by figures or by what their struggle looks like and things because there's always there's always emotions underneath and like you said the ultra scene in particular we're we're all wonderfully weird and all have different yeah. motivations for doing things. But yeah, I guess sometimes getting some direction from someone stops you from ruining yourself basically yeah. from those, yeah,
2: exactly.
1: from those it's, other it's,
2: things. If you, if your, if your body can take it, um, then you can, and you, if you love racing, then, then race. But I, I know that my body can't take and races back to back. I have to have a, a sort of longer lead up. Um, and I've I've learned that now, and that's okay. And I think also another thing that I probably did wrong was when I started to obsess about running and training. I would look at people's training on things like Strava, and I would think, well, I'm only doing I'm I'm running as much as I can in a week, and I'm still only doing half the mileage of that person. Um, and it, that's a really unhealthy uh, hole to go down. I I am quite a low mileage ultra runner. I don't, um, if you were to compare my training week to uh, someone else's, it would, it would you know, barely con- barely sort of compare. Uh, but, you know, I do a lot of manual labor. I'm on my feet pretty much all the time. Um, so there are other things that sort of contribute to, to your training. It doesn't just have to be, have to be running. But, you know, I, I, I would look at other people's training history and, and, and think I'm underperforming. And that was, that was uh, quite an unhealthy obsession. And it's taken me several years to sort of understand that my body is very different. It's just like how you should never compare your heart rate to someone else's because everyone's body is very different. Um, and, you know, I've got, I have quite a high heart rate. And, uh, you know, looking at someone else's low heart rate, you think, gosh, I'm unfit or something like that. Or look at other people's weight. I'm quite a heavy guy because I'm quite tall. Um, And I remember, you know, I'm about 80 kilos um, and I don't have, you know, I don't, there's not much on my body, but I'm, you know, quite a, quite a heavy, heavy ultra runner. And I remember my, my coach time was sort of barely touching 60 kilos. And I thought, gosh, maybe I'm just not cut out for this, but no, that's completely not true whatsoever. You can't analyze because everyone's body, everyone's sort of aerobic system is very different. So, and I think that's what's great about ultra And I was talking to my my coach now um, about this the other day. We were talking about. Um, I don't know whether I should air his hypothesis about other runners on on this podcast, but we were. <laughs> Dan Lawson came up actually in conversation, and um, my, my friend uh, and, and coach said that uh, Dan Lawson is is like a hummingbird, you know, very light on his feet, uh, very efficient. Um, and then there are some people, and he very kindly sort of classed me into the sort of Francois Den, um, mm. quite sort of like tall and and actually quite big big guys, and um, I I probably don't look like I should be a runner, yet, but somehow I managed to do it, um, and that's what I like about ultra running is because everyone is is very different. If you compared ultra running to the sort of track sports. Um, Running, sort of, you know, middle distances in the track, everyone is very lean, and it's sort of all about, um, sort of, well, it's, it's much more uh, clinical, I think, maybe than ultra running, where really we are um quite a different bunch. and That's what I like about
1: it. Yeah, and it's it's a beautiful portrait, I think, a start line of an ultra marathon is like as you say so many different people lining up yeah. no no two shapes and sizes I was I had a similar conversation with a friend because I'd watched the um the trilogy of films on Jim Walmsley um which was actually really quite emotional I'd never really known a lot about kind of him as a person and his history and it, it really did give a great insight and a really emotive insight into into yeah. like his his running career, but then just also him as a person. Um, but just seeing his body type compared to people like Killian and Francois and things like can you think, yeah, these these are people who are are doing incredible things and they but they just look so different. <laughs> yeah. Um and um and, and maybe kind of like made for different aspects of the sport, but also the wonderful variety of terrains and distances that we also have. In, in running it allows for that diversity as well I think mm. and, yeah. and obviously you did you you have had some incredible results I mean it sounds like for you very much it is about the journey how did it feel kind of gaining the sort of success that you did so you went sub three hours at the Gloucester 50k and then you won the 100k championships what was that experience like that
2: was yeah once again, that feels a long time ago. Um, it, was, it was pretty special. But, I, you know, I did, I did the work. Um, I certainly did the work for that. Um, and it was, it was good to sort of be rewarded for the, for the work. Um, I'd actually, I was working at Q at the time, studying at Q, and I, I actually got into quite a good routine. I was in running distance uh, from, uh, from um, home, the, the commute from queue to home and so it meant that I could do sort of uh quite easily without um I could I could run to and from queue basically in the same time that it takes to sort of get public transport because of the way that it's all connected up so it felt like I was being very efficient and <laughs> um, I've since moving away from from queue and working in other places I found that a lot harder to running a lot harder to fit into into life but um, going back to, to Gloucester, that was um, probably the fastest I've ever run, yeah. and um, I don't. I think fifty k is probably a little bit too punchy for me. Um, I probably have a go at it one day, but for now, I'm sort of yeah. You know, I I'm probably am better suited to a slightly longer race. And then the hundred k at the Anglo Celtic Bates, that was a very special uh, time. It was it was quite it was a massive honour to get an England vest, um, and a quite a special, um, looking back on that. I remember it was the week before my Q exam week, and so I was I literally um came back from Scotland and it was in the run in Perth, and then I was back in an exam hall the next morning with slightly achy legs. Uh, that was that was all a bit of a, a bit of a blur. An amazing event, Anglo Celtic place mm-hmm. is this coming together of the home nations of, of the British Isles, and uh, it's great. Um, it's, not, it's not vicious at all. It's you you um, meet up with uh, uh, the other nations and uh, have a really good time and, and are racing against quite a lot of my, my friends uh, running for, for different nations. So it's a great, great event and I hope that it continues for a long time. Uh, if I'm lucky, maybe I'll get a, a run at that again another day.
1: And then, because then you stepped up, obviously, to the hundred mile distance. What was it like standing on the start line of of your first? I, I don't know how actually how many hundred miles you've done. Is it is it just the south?
2: I've just done the yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What yeah. was that? What was that like taking on that distance when you haven't run that far before?
2: That was that's that was ominous, but it's it's that's what's exciting the the great
3: unknown.
2: Mm. You know that you're in for a long day out. You don't know how long it's going to take. Um, I put together with my coach at the time a sort of pacing plan um, and really it was, I, there was quite a lot of contingency so it could have been um, uh, I sort of had a sort of four hour window from where I thought that I was going to finish so it could have been any time in that and that was only if I'd actually made it uh, so it's that point where you cross the, um, you cross that point where the furthest that you've ever run and you think, well, I'm still going. I can't believe this. Uh, and, and once again, it's all about mindset. You know, I think, I think uh, if, you, if, you, if you prepare, mentally prepare for a race, you will be able to get through it. If you mentally prepare properly, if you adjust for a 100-mile
3: distance, say, uh, I know that right now if you told me that I was going to run 100 miles tomorrow, I'd probably panic <laughs> uh,
2: because I haven't got into the headspace but you know, knowing that it was coming up, I was able to sort of adjust and and accept. Just like if you know, for shorter events, if you knew that you were going to absolutely go hell for leather at fifty k, for, for example, tomorrow, you, you you know, it's all about mindset, I think.
1: You see, the health-leather of the fifty K terrifies me I think, more than the more than the hard slog. But I'm quite interested in the um and when you're talking about mindset, did you find that in kind of difficult moments in say that a hundred miles was was part of you thinking like I've got through harder stuff than this in relation to your depression? Um, did the two kind of marry up in any way?
3: I, I, that's a really, really interesting question, and
2: um, I, I was actually thinking it was more, more the, more the other way around. Actually, um, knowing that I'd done something like that, I remember actually running a hundred k in Perth. I was actually, I was pretty depressed at the time, mm. and. Um, you know, there's pictures of me smiling and having a great time on the day, but actually, I was really struggling because I was, I was quite stressed with some exams and other life things going on at the time. But I remember using that as when I felt so mentally weak at that time. I remember um, feeling really um, well, it was to be able to complete the distance when. Through pushing through quite a lot of pain um, and knowing that, you know, imagine being 50k through a race and knowing that you've got 50k still to go. Um, if you, I'm just taking myself back to that uh, event now. But I use that as sort of proof that actually I wasn't as mentally weak as I thought I was. You know, even at my sort of, you know, when I felt pretty damn useless, I was able to, that was proof that I needed to say that actually I'm not as useless as I, I thought. And so it's something that I still try and remember. Um, now. But yes, I, I think going through periods of depression, like some of the ones that I, I have in my life, is something that I wouldn't uh, like to repeat. Um, and I suppose, yes, you're right, knowing that I've come through the other side. I mean, it's, I'm still, I still have times when I, Actually, this year has actually been quite quite difficult, but for for a number of different reasons.
3: Mm.
2: Um, I know that it will it will get better, and I'll come out the other side. I mean, it's it's so it's so there's so many of us uh, go through similar uh, bumpy rides, um, and you know, I, I I I talk a lot about how plants and running are sort of combined to be this super potion which has sorted me out for life. This. It's not, not as straightforward as that. It is part of an armory that we put together of, um, sort of you know, remedies or, or coping mechanisms. I see a, a, a psychotherapist once a week, um, which is incredibly helpful, talking therapy I, I can't recommend enough. Um, and sort of working out what for you is your uh, your... Um, armory, I suppose, of different different um, uh, strategies, and then mm. applying them. So I've I've started to work out what mine are, and, and within that are is is running and and plants. <laughs> um, these are the sort of two things which I I fall back on quite a lot. But talking it through um, in in therapy certainly is, um, and and also. Medication, you know, for, for quite a lot of people. <laughs> um, some people don't find them very helpful, but others do. Uh, and you know, when you're in a real mental pickle, so to speak, they can really, they can really help. So it's about identifying the things that um, will get you through and taking that taking those things seriously.
1: And I think actually that's such a good way of framing it in terms of it being an armory, because it is a strength to be able to identify the things that you need to get you through. Yeah. Um, because actually that's doing a service to the people around you as well. You are you are building your armory, you are building and finding you're strong so that you can also yeah. be strong. Brothers too which is um which is obviously what you're doing at the moment with also building building your family, you're building your armory for you and for you know your, your wonderful yeah. <laughs> wonderful little girl as well and talking yeah. talking of lumps and bumps as well, just to return to the positives of running you were you you were speaking so eloquently about the Anglo Celtic plate and kind of bringing nations together. What yeah. was it like competing on the world stage um, at CCC and, and in Chamonix?
2: That's, I mean, that's also a fantastic event because you you are you are sort of a blip in a sea of different nations uh, and different peoples coming together, uh, and you really, I mean, I I um I think the the is races are. are fantastic for the sort of hype that they provide and the bringing people together from all sorts of, uh, walks, of walks of life together. Um, you know, recently I've, I've sort of started, well, well, I feel like I've slightly gone off the UTMB races for various reasons. Um, uh, it's, some, it's kind of becoming a bit of a monster, but what it does do is, is bring people together, gets people excited about our sport, um, and also... Uh, beautiful places like the, the Chamonix Valley and around, around Mont Blanc. Um, so, yes, it was, it's a joy. I loved actually running, running that race and, and looking at people's bibs and seeing the different nation flag on their, uh, on their running number and, and thinking that you're part of something really, uh, you know, you're, these are your people from all over the world.
1: Yeah, that must be amazing. Was there any aspect of it that you felt slightly starstruck?
2: <laughs> yeah, there the, have been a few sort of starstruck moments. Yeah, um, I was out and um, kind of met some, some of my prayer my running heroes um, at sort of events like that. I was went out and I paced Tom uh, Evans at mm-hmm. the Western States 100 uh, in the, uh, the year after the CCC, yeah. And um, got to meet uh, some more of my uh, the people that have inspired me to to get out there and race, um, and then runs like the Ultra Vassan in Sweden, where I ran against. Ran, well, yeah. I ran against Jim Womsey. I didn't manage to catch him, um, but he's a he's a nice guy Had a good chat, Finish line. Um, so yes, it's it's good to. I think that's a good thing about just the sport is that you can be in the same field as the people right at the top of the game yeah good
1: times I think that's what's really lovely Lee actually about the the slightly maverick kind of filming and um, live tracking of of trail and ultra running as well that actually you've got everybody commenting on it and also all of the runners tracked and I really I, I personally really hope that that doesn't get too overly commercialized. It's really nice yeah. to be able to follow along and there'll be sort of people like Billy Yang kind of like putting in comments, but there's also just everybody's families and things jumping in and stuff. And it's yeah, really yeah. <laughs> it has a far more kind of familiar feel about it, which is really, really nice. Yeah. Do you have any aspirations in terms of racing out in the States? Um uh, I've
2: sort of been looking nearer nearer home recently. I I I find it there are so many races all across the globe that I'd, I'd love to do one day, but mm. um, I, I'm, I'm anxious of where I fly nowadays. Yeah. Um, and so uh, what I'd love to do is do something like Tarawera in New Zealand, but I don't think I can quite... I, I think I'd be, feel pretty I'd feel quite a lot of eco guilt if I was to fly myself out there, I think. I'd have to do some... You know, if, maybe if someone gave me a bursary to do some sort of plant conservation... Uh, work out there or something maybe i could couple that couple that in together but there are some certainly a lot of races i'd love to do scattered across the world but um it's about being clever and how to get there
1: um as i think you are a part of the green runners is that right yes yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs>
2: i would i would i would say i'm also part of the green runners but not a very good member. um i i sort of loiter on and listen to what's going on but um when i feel like i quite put in the time I try and reassure myself I'm sort of I'm focusing on the biodiversity issue that's my my thing in, in my sort of day-to-day job that I really would like to do
1: more in our in our group of group of like-minded runners it's about not beating ourselves up for the things that we we can't necessarily change at the moment and using the things yeah. that we can in a really positive way and I think the green runners is actually really good at, at promoting that
2: Quite right, yeah. It's it's just about being aware in what you're doing and the the steps that you can, you are able to take. Um, And and the Green Honest certainly makes me constantly analyze the choices that I'm making.
1: In terms of what running gives you, what are the spillovers into the rest of your life, would you say?
2: Uh, I. If if this is what you mean, I do quite a lot of my thinking and processing when I'm running. So I think that's that's it. If I've got a problem, I will generally, well, I I, I often get the solution whilst I'm whilst I'm running. Um, and I, this is actually something I was hypothesising the other day. Is that um, in the in the sort of like within the therapies that I I do, um, we uh, use a uh, technique called EMDR, and it's basically if you imagine. Um, it's basically a processing on both sides of the brain. So if you were to tap your, your temples or your knees or something like that whilst you're sort of going back and trying to process something, it, it, it's, meant to, um, it's meant to help the processing, so to speak, um, by, by doing that. And so actually putting left foot into, in front of right foot whilst you're running, getting that left, right, left, right, left, right, is actually well, what I feel should be quite an efficient, efficient processing uh, tool. So quite a lot of my thinking, um, and, uh, is done whilst out on, out on runs. Um, I think that's one of the reasons that it makes me feel better. Uh, and, uh, and I do quite a lot of running around the place that I work. And since quite a lot of the stuff that I do at, at, at Net is, um, is bearing in mind that it's context within its within the very unique landscape of the very sticky clay, low wheeled, where we find ourselves in. So actually, it it actually tells me a lot of favours to be able to observe the wider landscape whilst I'm whilst I'm running around it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see different communities of plants, thinking, Gosh, this, this, you know, thinking it through. Might have different soil profile there, and that means that you've got different standard trees growing on that area, and all of those sort of things. So, it's observation whilst running um, is is you know, it's a unique way of taking something in. Um, it's the same thing when I when I go and I do travel somewhere for uh, work, or I'm staying in a in a place for a weekend or something like that. I'll always go out and I'll run, and I'll find the local footpaths, and I will um i'll come back and uh you know go out for a run for breakfast come back and i'm able to tell my wife (laughs) just the lay of the land the sort of things that grow there the sort of stone that the houses are made out of or you know that kind of stuff and and it gives you a it's a great way of you know orienting yourself and and grounding yourself in a place just go and run around it and observe things
1: I love that idea that you've touched on with the kind of the research and thinking being a really embodied experience through literally moving over the land. Um, I, I hadn't thought of it like that. Um, and also just great training on sticky clay as well. <laughs> Anything else that the t- British terrain throws at you? I think.
2: <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. We've got the South Downs just down the road. It's um, you know, about 10 miles away mm. and the, the geology of that compared to the sort of sogginess of where we are now uh, is quite staggering uh, so I've been going up to the South Downs, the Chalky Ridge which is much shorer underfoot than the sort of uh, we, we're basically on a big floodplain here and about 300 metres of the stickiest mud clay mud clay mud that you can, you can think of um, so, yeah, it's great for, um, well, it's probably good for, my coach now tells me that it's pretty good for strength strength building because <laughs> running through, through the stickiness.
1: <laughs> That's what he tells you to tell yourself when you're having to. I finish,
3: know, right? exactly. <laughs> it's
1: pretty grim at times. <laughs> <laughs> and you've spoken about that you are still working with your coach. Have you got any races on your radar at the moment? What's next for you in terms of um running? I, I know that you've got so many other challenges that you're navigating at the moment. Yeah, but... <laughs> there's quite
2: a quite a few challenges going on at the moment. Um but I I've um I'm doing the centurion uh, South Downs Way of 50 in April, which I thought would be a pretty sure bet. Um, I, I haven't raced in the last year because actually I've been putting most of myself into, into work and establishing gardens and, and uh, businesses and that sort of thing and moved to different parts of the world and there's been quite a lot to, to get on with and I have actually enjoyed, usually when I would go out for a run in the evening, I've actually been sowing seeds or doing some nursery work and using that as my processing time. Um, I, I, you know, I, I did see a slight dip in my mood. So whether or not I was missing out on the mm. um, my sort of daily dose of aerobic exercise, I don't know. But I am doing the South Downs Way fifty in April, and then I am also signed up to the Ridgeway Ultra in the Chilsons in when is it September? About then, and you know, I toyed with some other races, but really, I just started of started a family. I, there's so many unknowns. Um, well, what I've learned is that I'm not.
3: I. It's running is something that I have to fit into in around life. Mm.
2: You know, it's not the be all and end all, but it's it's something that I enjoy. And if I am lucky enough to have the time, and the circumstances in which I can do it, then I will, I'll do it. But um, there's other other sort of plates that I have to keep spinning. Um, but no, I haven't raced for a year, so it'll be it'll be good to good to get back into it I've missed that that whole element and um community
1: so looking forward to that. That's so exciting and it it is important um I think anyway that having your own personal goals and and your own autonomy outside of all of your other responsibilities is is important for our mental health um and Mm. for you kind of having that that connection to a community that has been so embracing of you and that you found such joy through um i imagine that's that's a real strength building thing yeah yeah yeah.
2: that's (laughs) right i've I've been welcomed with open arms by the running community which has been great
1: (laughs) and open grazing boards of checkpoints as well (laughs) you get that correct absolutely (laughs) So, I just have a few final questions um for you charlie if you if have got time so um sure. what is your favorite plant?
2: That's a very interesting question. I always give quite a boring answer actually um because i I think I would always say uh the oak tree, mm. which is uh, a lot of people think, oh come on, you could have given us something that you know I've grown alpines through to tropical plants, but actually there's something Probably quite nostalgic and very strong and reassuring about the good old peduncula hook workers' rover. It's you know a real part of the landscape around here. Um, they good to hug as well.
1: They are, aren't they? I whenever I see no tree, you just get that sense of it's so, it's so reassuring. I think they're like guardian trees, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. You think
2: about the things that they have seen in their lifetime. You know, they say that um, an oak tree, it, grows, it you know, grows up for 300 years, then it sort of lives for 300 years, and then it declines gracefully for 300 years. You know, these are old trees, um, and there's you know, a a lot of carbon in its roots, and, um, you know, they, they're worth thinking about more, more closely. Uh, a lot of people might take them for granted.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it, it goes back to what we were saying about having a reciprocal relationship with the land. I, yeah. I do feel like they're very, they're personable trees.
2: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There's, there's one oak in particular I can think of in the Stour Valley back in, in Suffolk, where ever, ever I go back and uh, see my parents and I go on a run in that, in that valley, um, there's one particular tree that I go up and give a damn good embrace. It's, um, it's I don't know, it's, it's something that I find uh, quite... Homely, I think.
1: Just don't stop and hug any trees during the 50 mile, like someone might catch you. <laughs> oh,
2: it's just matter it, you. know. <laughs> No, I'll bear that in mind.
1: What advice would you give to someone feeling trapped in their life?
2: I would say um, it's quite, quite normal and quite common. And uh, I would think I, I I don't know quite what I would um, what state I would be in if i I hadn't taken steps to free myself. so I don't think there is there's never um, you can always you can always change um, and I felt particularly trapped because i I felt committed you know I'd kind of mapped up my career, I suppose, and and it was quite reassuring to know that, that was the course that I was taking. Um uh but when I realised that I just couldn't do it anymore, I didn't want to do it. I it was amazing how trapped I felt. Um and I took took the leap and I'm really glad that I did. Uh it felt like it was impossible at the time, but you can always you can always take the step to 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 make it better and to to do something different. Um and there's, there's that really good line in the, the Baz Luhrmann track. You know, everybody's free to wear sunscreen. Um, where you know they say, uh, well, I can't remember exactly. I'm going to I'm going to fluff it up now. That uh, most the in, most interesting twenty uh, year olds don't know what they want to do with their lives. Some of the most interesting forty year olds I know still don't. You know, it's, <laughs> um, so that, that's what makes life interesting. So. You, if you feel trapped, I think it's quite a common uh, feeling to to have, but there's always something that you can do. Um, there's always possibilities, basically.
1: I think that's a really valuable takeaway for, for so many people. And I think we put so much pressure sometimes on kind of the cult of youth and young people can do amazing things but there is mm. no pressure to be or have done anything by any particular age and we're all just still on this incredibly silly journey <laughs> and learning all the time are, yeah. so. <laughs> I think
2: I've, I've always been a have um, always been a slave to achievement and, and feeling like you know i need to achieve to make myself feel worthwhile and other people to know that i'm worthwhile but um and i think that's quite a that's you know that's quite a common thing to think but actually it can be really damaging if you listen to that uh, too much
1: yeah and actually as you say maybe we should all stop and hug the tree really <laughs> just, just <laughs> hug the tree just
2: stop it just
1: just stop and hug the tree. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my final, my final question, Charlie, which you might um have anticipated, is um, what does joy mean to you?
3: Joy. I should probably have prepared
2: an answer. <laughs>
1: um, I think it's, it's good to be spontaneous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I think I probably would have given you a different answer
2: last week. This time, well, actually, probably eight days ago, before the birth of my daughter, um, because actually before that, I was in, well, I think I already mentioned quite a low low point.
3: Mm.
2: Um, so actually, I probably would have said that I can't see any joy. Um, but now I've looked into my daughter's eyes, and, um, and that's, that's, I don't know how to say it. that's what joy means to me, but there's definitely something in that which
3: I haven't felt for a while.
1: <laughs> this okay. is, yeah it's quite good that this is um this is audio only but just been, I'm Sorry. so no I'm just so grateful for you sharing that Charlie and you've been so honest and open and just such a delight to to chat to you throughout this whole conversation and um I'm particularly grateful now that you have shared this space with me at this moment in time um particularly having gone through so much recently so many changes and I'm so glad that what the last few days have have given you um have brought joy to you um in that look and I'm sure that you know there's going to be challenges ahead some of them might be in running form some of them might be another life form but um yeah. you you're such a shining light and i have absolute faith that you have the the all the strengths to to overcome them but thank you so much for your time well, thank you strategy. so much it's been great to talk to you i'm sorry I, I didn't talk
2: about running for quite a lot of this chat but um thank you for bringing it back every time <laughs>
1: No, we like we like all things on this podcast. We like multifaceted, um, weird people, and you've like you've aced right, it. Right. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Okay, thank you so much. Really enjoyed it.
0: I am so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast and if you've enjoyed today's episode I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support perseverance and joy further if you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests you can find me on instagram at running underscore on underscore joy I'd love to hear from you thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for running on joy